my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. After you begin to push, people actually appear. It's really interesting that just focusing on it and then making the effort to actually identifying and developing the talent is a big deal. I think that's so important to encourage people to throw their hat in the ring. We're constantly having to encourage people, women, people of color, kind of anybody that's from a marginalized group to say, hey, throw your hat in the ring. Like other people are doing it. Your, your peers are doing it and you belong in this group too. Hello, and welcome to the Future Legends of Advertising podcast featuring newly inducted members of the American Advertising Federation's Hall of Achievement and those in the Hall of Fame. In this series, we'll compare notes, gain insights, and explore the future of the advertising industry through never-before-heard conversations between those who are shaping it. You'll meet industry icons like Bozema St. John, Daisy Exposito Uya, Deborah Wall, and future ones, including leaders from the most impactful brands, agencies, and media platforms in the world. We're your hosts, Haley Romer and Ross Martin. Now, let's meet the legends. All right. So, Haley, I am going to be the one to introduce El Maestro, El Ta- Antonio Lucio, who uh, I we could spend the whole. This is this is the problem with the Hall of Famers, the legends that we're introducing is you could take the whole episode to introduce them and then it would be like the Antonio show, but like he doesn't want that. He's already shaking his head. He's like, don't keep it short. So I will. He needs no introduction. The former chief marketing officer for Facebook, the first one they ever had, the former chief marketing officer of HP, the former chief marketing officer of Visa, before that, PepsiCo. And I think that you don't define a business leader like Antonio through titles like that, even though they are super impressive. He's also not someone that anybody defines by the work itself, which is legendary, but it's the man. It, it is the human being, the father, the husband, the friend, and the transformational leader that he is that makes Antonio so inspiring. And we're going to hear from him shortly, but just just so everyone knows we're breaking some news here. If you haven't heard, should be surprised to no one. It was like the biggest duh of all time that Antonio Lucio is going to be inducted into the Advertising Hall of Fame class of 2023. Please welcome to this podcast, everybody's favorite, Antonio Lucio. Well, thank you very much, Russ, for that wonderful introduction. 
Hall of Fame is what happens when 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 you're old and people want you to move away from the markets, and I am gladly doing so as we speak. But I'm I'm uh, I'm actually deeply honored uh, by 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 this by this award. I don't know if I agree that anybody wants you to move away from anything, Antonio. Your name comes up in almost every conversation as, I just spoke with Antonio. Antonio advised me on this. Antonio said that. Um, So I can say confidently on behalf of the world, nobody wants you to go anywhere. But I am excited, really, really excited right now to introduce Stephanie Natty Olson. If you don't know Stephanie, you surely know her work or someone on her team. Stephanie is the epitome of a visionary. And I'm going to prove that to you right now in case you're not familiar with with what Stephanie's done. Just before the pandemic, Stephanie started We Are Rosie. She's the founder and CEO of We Are Rosie, which is the the flexible career platform for those in our industry in advertising and, and marketing for professionals in all seasons of their career. Stephanie worked in advertising previously. And in 2018, she decided to embrace the idea of remote work way before the pandemic happened and everybody was doing this. Now, what I love about Stephanie's story is not only has she created a mechanism for people to do the thing they love in the way that works for them, but she did it coming out of the life experience that she had, being the daughter of a refugee, which has driven her affinity and advocacy for marginalized groups, and her desire really to create a better way of doing business just by focusing on the people who are actually doing the work. I love that. Stephanie has had no shortage of accomplishments of her own during her advertising career. She worked with major brands like Microsoft and AOL, um, as well as startups. Stephanie saw the industry from every angle and understood that there was an opportunity to truly transform the way that we work. And so four years later, We Are Rosie works with more than 25 Fortune 500 brands, as well as six major advertising holding companies. In fact, if you're listening, your company probably does some work with Stephanie or someone on her team. And Stephanie has also been named this year as EY's Entrepreneur of the Year in the Southeast region, one of Atlanta's Business Chronicle's Most Admired CEOs, and one of Atlanta Magazine's 2022 Women Making a Mark. Stephanie was named Ad Age Visionary of the Year in 2020, has been recognized by Adweek as the Creative 100, was named among world-changing women. The list goes on and on. Stephanie, you really are a visionary. You're changing so much of what's happening. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you for joining us. Oh, Haley, thank you for that generous welcome. That is so kind of you. I'm so happy to be here and in such great company today. So Stephanie and Antonio, why do you think we would pair the two of you? We could have paired you with anybody. You're both like absolutely outstanding. Anybody would want to be on a podcast with either of you. But we did put you two together. Like why Why you two? Why do you think, and you're meeting for the first time, I think here. So why do you think we put you together? I'll take a guess at this, Ross. I mean, I think uh, hopefully it's because the universe has destined the two of us to meet. I think since I started We Are Rosie three times a week, people were like, have you met Antonio? Have you talked to Antonio yet? I'm like, I would love to. I would love to talk to Antonio. So um, maybe that's part of it. But I think um, one of the things that I really admire about Antonio and that I find really relatable is um, a little bit of this kind of outsider's mentality, you know, like... Um, Antonio's a, a, one of a handful of Latin CMOs that, that I can think of and coming from an Arabic family, you know, I don't see myself well represented in the marketing and advertising world either. And so 
I really enjoyed watching the way that he gracefully navigates um, building his career and influence while also bringing others along on the journey. And, and I hope to do the same in the work that I'm doing. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think both of us have uh, share the, the vision for uh, building a, a business through diversity and, uh, and inclusion to ensure that uh, the communities that we serve are represented the right way and, and to do it in a systematic sort of way, not through uh, storytelling, but through actual, through actual hard work. So I'm, uh, I've been very impressed with the work that um, Stephanie has done and, con and continues to do. So I'm, I'm delighted. I'm actually honored to be sharing the stage with her. You know, I want to jump on what you just said, Antonio, in the sense that you both have an idea for better ways of working and having a more inclusive workplace, giving people more of a platform and a voice in how they come to work. And if I were to juxtapose your perspectives for just a moment, I don't want to imply that your perspectives are singular and your view is, is, is singular or comes just from one way. But I would say, Stephanie, you've been focused on the the worker themselves and saying, how can the workplace be the best place for the worker? And Antonio, being in these huge leadership positions and being an advisor to so many leaders, you're thinking, okay, how do we as leaders help the workplace thrive? So maybe from your different vantage points, what are the biggest priorities that you are both seeing right now? And how are like where do you see the white space and the opportunity to continue to improve again from both perspectives? Yeah, um, I'll, I'll jump in on this one. I think we're at such a crazy moment. We were actually talking about this today. Um, I think we're seeing kind of the dismantling of a lot of old systems, um, including the way of work, right? If you think of that as a system that was developed over 100 years ago with, you know, Henry Ford and this Monday through Friday, 40-hour work week. Um, we've held on to that, even though all this technology has enabled us to work in different ways. And I think COVID really pushed a lot of people, a lot of employers, a lot of organizations to say like, gosh, is this still the best way to do it, right? Do we still need to be dragging everybody into an office? Um, can we not give them any flexibility? And I think we're at this really interesting moment where um, things are kind of falling apart so that they can fall into place, hopefully, in a way that honors the way that people are living and working today. And that includes everything from having women in the workforce to having you know, people that want to participate in the advertising industry that maybe want to live outside of New York City. Um, and I think it's just such a cool time for us to be pushing for change and is something that I'm um, excited to see companies and organizations and leaders really think about how they can grow their business through creating an environment where the talent that supports them can thrive. Yeah, I uh, totally agree, Stephanie. At the, at the institutional level, I think that what the, the focus needs to be on um, the focus needs to be on inclusion and it's to be on the second generation of leaders. I think companies are doing really well uh, when it comes to the entry level, when it comes to the pipeline for senior leadership role. That's the single biggest area of uh, of opportunity. That's where I'm spending most of my time uh, today. Um, and and one of the biggest hurdles that um, that I have been approaching with, with, with some of the companies that I'm working with is this notion that, well, there's no, no pipeline for the, for the leadership roles at the, at the second, at the, at the two levels below, below the CMO. Um, 
And what's interesting about that observation is every single leader that I know in all the companies that you mentioned that I have worked, everyone from Indra Nui to Sheryl Sandberg to uh, men, uh, everyone has had stretch assignments. Stretch assignments for definition are assignments in which you don't have the capability, but you have potential and someone is betting on your potential. If you're a woman or person of color, it is considered a diversity play. If you're not, it's considered a career development play. Mm-hmm. And that sort of frame of mind needs to be changed across the board because stretch assignment by definition means that you're not ready, whether you're white or black or male or female or gay, you are not ready, but someone is betting on on your potential. Um that and then um, we, we need to do some some re- reframing, particularly among women and people of colors of three concepts that I'm, I'm hammering constantly now. Um, politics, power and network. We have an, 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 a, a negative view of what politics is. We have a very difficult time with owning power because of where we come from. And, and, and sometimes we think that network is not part, building network is not part of the actual, of the actual work. So a lot of the work that we're doing is reframing that. Uh, politics is nothing, but first, politics is value neutral and it's nothing more than an organization's ability to get things done within its culture. Mm. And if you're a leader, you have to figure that out. If you're not able to figure that out, you're not doing your job and you're not going to advance the agenda and you're going to let actually your people behind. Power is nothing more than your impact and influence within an organization and the ability to be recognized as such. And what's interesting is that when, you, when, when you're given a position, your boss, your peers, and the people that report in, uh, into you are expecting you to own that power. And once again, if you don't reframe your mindset to feel comfortable owning that power, you're not going to be successful. And then the last piece is network. As you go up within the organization, that becomes the job more than your ability to actually uh, uh, do the artisanal side of it. Antonio, I love um, what you're saying about potential and it resonates so much with me um, because a lot of the work we do at We Are Rosie is about matching people to opportunity based on potential. So I don't know if you've heard about this, Antonio, I should give you the high level here, but you know, we match people to project-based work based on what we call the four Ps, right? Which is in our custom algorithmic, but also very human way to connect people to opportunity. Um, one of them is pedigree, which is resume-based, you know, information, which is, you know, a record of bias and privilege in a lot of ways. And the next one is potential, right? And then the last two are play, which is how do you want to work and play? and passion, what type of work really lights you up. But potential is one that we talk to our clients about extensively, right? And it's something that really captivates their imagination because they've been accustomed to hiring people based on pedigree, right? And promoting people based on pedigree and giving them opportunity based on pedigree. But the challenge with that is that you're giving people additional opportunity on the heels of potentially a very biased system that has already given them opportunities. And so, giving people opportunity based on potential allows you to see and and invite people in that may not always already be in the room and may not always get those opportunities. 
And what we found at We Are Rosie is if somebody has a high potential score match with a specific project, they will often outperform somebody that's just a high pedigree match or even, you know, the highest pedigree match because we see this potential in them. And it's a big part of our effort to level the playing field and also surface talent that just isn't getting the access to opportunity and power and wealth, which kind of recreates that circle, right? Once you have the wealth, there's more, you know, access, um, opportunity and power coming your way. I'm curious how your conversations with the leaders that you're working with are going as you try to get them to reconsider their approach to doling out opportunity and sharing it with people throughout their organization. First, uh, just to comment on what you just said, although people like to say that they're making promotions based on pedigree, that's actually not true. When you're talking about the the senior senior positions in top in the, in those corporations, pedigree is 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 one, but it's actually potential. And 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 those and both and both dimensions are always measured. You get a score for your actual performance during a given year, and then you get a different score whether you're going to be able to be promoted within the next for the next two 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 particular positions. That that um, assessment, that evaluation of potential is completely arbitrary, completely arbitrary, and 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 normally uh, all sorts of prejudice and, and and issues go into play with with the with those particular assessments, and and it's clearly very important for for companies to actually acknowledge that, so that because if you don't acknowledge that, you're not able not, not able to, to begin to change the way um, the way in which you um, in which you behave. Yeah, it's it is really hard to measure. And you're right. I mean, it's it's completely subjective in a lot of ways. You know, it's hard to to find something that's truly kind of programmatic to to measure somebody's potential. But we've found some success with having human conversations with people, right? Like it cannot be pulled from a database, but it's about getting to know people and understanding their drive. And a lot of it is intuitive. Um, do you feel like those decisions are made with intuition uh, in the highest levels of organization? Sometimes, sometimes yes, sometimes, sometimes no. I mean, within the context of the the, the program that uh, that I run, the Leadership Acceleration Project, um, my I have 16, 16 companies. Some of the conversations with uh, with the senior leaders is that I am not sure whether I can find eight eight within an, an entire marketing department. Um, a group of people that 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 uh, will have the the pedigree and potential to actually participate in this particular program. And what's interesting is that when, when after you begin to push, uh, people actually appear. Yeah. When you when you're saying okay, it's a, it's a, it's it's like you said, it's about potential. Then people appear all of a sudden. They're they they they, they, they all of a sudden you begin to pay attention to them. Yeah. And all of a sudden, they become part of the of, of the succession plan. So it, it's 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 really interesting that just focusing on it, calling it, and then m- making the effort to actually I- identifying and developing the talent is 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 a big deal. I think that's so important to encourage people to throw their hat in the ring by calling out like we're going to make this decision also based on potential because. We see it every day in the work that we're doing. Um, you know, an easy one to to throw out is like women will apply for a project or raise their hand for a project on our platform when they're 120% qualified. Um, for men, it's, you know, somewhere between 60 and 100% qualified. And 
we're constantly having to encourage people, uh, women, people of color, kind of anybody that's from a marginalized group to say, hey, throw your hat in the ring. Like other people are doing it. Your your peers are doing it and you belong in this group too. And so I think verbally saying, hey, we're looking at potential as a good signal to people that they can t- take what feels like to them as a risk. What you're saying is is incredibly important. So um, the people that are participating in, in, my, in the project, I, I am devoting three one-hour sessions with each one and the amount of the, the amount of time uh, the, the the number of times that i just have to say it is really important for the company to understand what you want is 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 insane i mean like you said you know if you're if you're a man that comes from certain school and you're straight and this is and that you're i mean from the moment that you're born you're 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 asking for stuff and, and, and you deserve that stuff. Um, the rest of us, it's, 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 it's a bit harder, but it's clearly very important for the companies in which you're working on for, for them to know where, where you stand and what you want and to have yeah. the, and, and by the way, you have to own that. They say careers are a two way street. That means you have to drive. Um, yeah. And every position that you take, it's, send, it's sending a signal of both capability and intent. And if you're not careful as to the things that you say yes to or the things that you say no to, your career may end up in a corner that you're not a- able to recover ever again. So that the, the fact that you have to have ownership of what you want and people will not know what they don't know about what you want is 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 really important that you're very 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 specific um uh, and and you deserve to have that those types of conversations and get that type of feedback that will enable you to actually get to the next level yeah i have a little story about this actually antonio that i i share with people often i was working for a big tech company and i've been based in atlanta my entire career and i can't even begin to enumerate all the times i've been bribed and pressured and bullied to move to new york right um, cause I've been very ambitious and I've, I've laid that bare. Everybody around me knows, like I, I've got big goals and big dreams and everyone's like, well, then you need to move to New York. And, you know, being raised in a family, um, that comes from a refugee background, like I was raised that you don't leave your family. Like unless you're forcibly removed from your family, you have to stick together. So for me, leaving Atlanta was a non-option. So that was like the one thing I just couldn't sacrifice for my career. And I remember I was asking for a promotion at this big tech company and I kept getting the move to New York line and I just I just kind of like gave up on it, right? And then I saw a colleague of mine who um, she said to them, you know, I'll move to New York, but only temporarily and you're gonna pay for it and you're gonna move my family there. And, you know, you're going to pay for me to fly back to Atlanta twice a, twice a month. And they did it. And I remember watching this happen for her and saying, I didn't even think to ask for that. You know, that's not a permanent move. It's like an apprenticeship. Like, good, I'll come to New York and soak up everything you want me to soak up from that office. But I'm going to come back to Atlanta where my, my heart is and where my family is. And that was such a good lesson for me to do exactly what you're saying just ask for it. And it's advice now I give to everybody, like be specific. And what's the worst that can happen is you end up where you are now. Best case scenario is you get everything you've wanted, right? Um, And there's a lot of space in the middle there for improvement, incremental improvement in your situation, if you'll just ask and be bold. Yeah, the the other piece is depending on where you're in in your career, 
uh, the word that I use is in intentionality. You, 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 you need to be very specific as to what you're building and, 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 and ensure that everything that you do is a means to an end. Uh, if you're in the first half of your career, it's all about seeking and, and, and getting as much experience as, as you want so that you know what, what you're good at and what you, and what you like. Uh, second half of your career, you have to add a significant amount of intentionality that those conversations with women and people of color are incredibly surprising. It's like, yeah. what do you mean? Uh, b- because it's almost that we, we tend to take a more passive view as to what's available for me. And we go and we just pursue that as opposed to stepping back and say, okay, I actually want to be like the subject matter expert of the world in this. And yeah. I'm going to build my career for that. I'm going to be a bit more generalist, CMO route, if you will. And this is what I'm going to build towards, or am I actually going to run a business? Mm-hmm. But that level of intentionality uh, uh, and, and, and really, really being careful as to how you're building towards the ends that you are pursuing is really very important. And we are not having those conversations with the type of people that we're talking about. Yeah. And most of the time is because of what you say, because they're not bringing it forth. Yeah. I mean, but so often we're just happy to be in the room, right? Like we're like, oh, I don't know how I got into this party, but I'm happy to be here and I don't want to get bounced. And so I don't think that, you know, for so many people that come from marginalized groups, we're thinking like we're at the we're in the middle of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We like we need to move on up to the top where we're like this is what I this is what I need to thrive, not just what I need to exist. And I think people like you and I having conversations out loud is really helpful. I didn't have a lot of any really role role models when I was coming up in the industry to help me with this stuff. And I and I was happy to be in the room, but I'm fortunate that I had that focus and intentionality kind of naturally. And, and I hope to be able to, to teach others about it. Totally uh, agree. The, the, the other piece is that it, it took me a very, personally took me a very long time that there is a, there's a system uh, to this madness. So, so for example, uh, and, and most of the times we don't, we don't even know it. Um, most of the successful people that I have been involved with ac- across multiple levels have four things going for them. They have capability at two levels, functional and then the leadership capability. Most of the companies that when I was growing up in, in corporate America, leadership was something that was taught. Mm-hmm. You don't have that anymore. Uh, but it's, so it's, it's capability at those two levels. The second is community. And by community, I mean people outside of your company. Because in many cases, the people that I'm working with, they're one of two within the company in those rooms. That's not community. So to have a community outside of the company of people that are at your same level so that you can share, you know, what you're learning, uh, you can share your frustrations, you can share, am I going crazy? Because sometimes you, Companies do that to you. They, they, they make you feel like you're crazy. Uh, yeah. so that they, they, they are, they, they add perspective. They, they give you pointers and importantly, importantly, they never allow you to feel isolated, which is super important. The third is mentors. And I separate mentors from sponsors. Mentors are people that, that get to know you deeply. And are going to ask you not just about your work. They're going to ask you about your work, your life, the integration between the two. And are the ones that are going to ask you the very tough questions like, 
you know, Antonio, maybe have you considered that maybe it's time for you to move on? Mm. Um, and, and normally the people inside the company are not going to ask you that type of question yeah. because for, 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 I mean, you have a fiduciary responsibility with the company first and then the sponsor, which is inside the company pulling your career is the person that is going to advocate for you is the person that is going to indeed give you the stress assignment. If you're a white guy, straight white guy from the Northeast, those four things, you have it from birth. The community, you went to school with all these people that now are all over and they become your support group and mentors were your uncles and the friends of your father that sat in the dinner table with you and this is and that. And, 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 and you're going to get the sponsors. In yep. my particular case, I was lucky that I was people invested in my capability and I had sponsors. Community, I only was able to build when I got involved in DNI that these people became my, my, and that, that's the, the last 12 years of my career out of 40. Yeah. Um, and mentors, I also found and in, in the last 15 years of my career. And those two things fundamentally changed my life, changed my outlook, changed the way that I felt about my work. And, and, and we need, we need to increase the level of awareness of our people so that they get to build that from the get go. Yeah. And, it, and they don't have to do the, the stumbling that, that I had to do. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, it, that speaks to me so deeply. I mean, I feel like I spent the first 10 years of my career gathering up all of those things, right? Like creating my own network of support and mentors and sponsors and leadership and all of these things. I mean, I think so many people can relate. I graduated from high school. I actually went to community college my last year of high school because I knew I was going to be on my own to pay for college. So my last year of high school, I was like, well, how can I make this as cheap as possible? I went to state school um, afterwards and worked, you know, multiple jobs and then got dropped into the advertising industry. And the only people I knew in this industry was the family that I had nannied for from the time I was 14 until I was 22. And they helped me the simple act of kindness of helping me prepare for an interview in Microsoft's advertising division when I graduated college. It's how I got the job at Microsoft. It changed the entire trajectory of my career. And they were really the only people I knew in corporate, right? My parents were not in this field. You know, my dad is a tailor. Um, neither of my parents went to college. And so I spent the next 10 years kind of grabbing every opportunity I could, right? Who were the people that I looked up to? What could I learn from them? How could I get more time with them? How could I get in the room with my skip, skip, skip level boss so I could see what's going on in that room and I could start to understand what the gap was that I needed to fill to be in there more permanently. Um, and then when I started We Are Rosie, Antonio, I started getting thrown into rooms that I never could have imagined I would be in. I went from prior to We Are Rosie, I was begging, um, you know, media directors at ad agencies to take a meeting with me. I was selling a commoditized, you know, ad tech product that you could buy from 30 different places. And it was all relationship based. And it was so hard to get meetings. because Everyone was so exhausted. And then I came up with this idea that resonated with people. And all of a sudden, I was meeting with the CEOs of these agencies. And I had so much, uh, you know, like, what am I doing here? But the thing that I learned, there are two couple things I learned. The difference between the people um, that, you know, are, are me 10 years ago 
and these people that I was meeting in the C-suite was I just felt like they believed that they belonged there. Like they weren't any smarter than everyone I had met. They might be more polished, but they simply just believed that they belonged in that seat in that room. And that was something that was really eye-opening for me because my whole life, I assumed that the people in the C-suite were some like superhuman, one in a million people that, you know, only come around every so often and they're spectacular and you either have it or you don't. And then I now I'm sitting there and I I know all these amazing peers and listen, they're they're phenomenal people. Um, but there's not this huge gap <laughs> that I thought there was. You know, they're not superhuman, they're people. Um, and a lot of them have worked really hard. And like you said, some of them woke up on third base the day they were born. Um, but they just all believe that they belong there. And I think that that was something that really propelled me forward. I had to change my mindset around, I believe that I belong here too. Um, but it certainly helps to have people along the way to guide you, you know, because you don't want people um, spending more time, any more time than necessary thinking that they don't belong. Totally agree. That's why I think the whole, the whole concept of community and mentors is so important because what, what you're saying, and I was in, the, in, again, in one of my mentoring sessions with one particular lady from a, an, an amazing company. And she said, well, I'm, I'm, I have an amazing education. I have, um, uh, in terms of brains, I can, I can go to bat with anyone. I'm, I'm lacking social capital. And I said, what do you mean? He said, it's not easy for me. Like you, like it wasn't for you. It wasn't for me either. Uh, to go into a room and talk to people about the CEO or, or the CMO of such and such about anything, because again, we're having imposter syndrome or because we've never done it before, because the way that I was raised and the people that I hang out with and the, my, my parents were all, no, didn't know anything about corporations. Um, my, my father could, could not even pronounce Procter and Gamble and, 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 <laughs> And he could not understand what marketing was, and he died without understanding what marketing was. Yeah. <laughs> so it it it. it Antonio, whole... I think most of us are going to die without understanding what marketing. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a, that's 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 another topic uh, that, that that we need that we need to get into. I want, you, you both have brought up family a few times, and you know, Stephanie, you, you were the 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 final honoree of the evening at AAF Hall of Achievement, and you spoke so lovingly about your family um, and what they sacrificed for you to be able to create We Are Rosie and grow it to this size. I, I guess I'd ask for both of you, I know how, how indebted you both feel to your partners and to your children for allowing you to go do the careers you've done. Um, can you talk about that commitment that they've made to you and how it, how it makes you feel, you know, as a leader who, you know, you, you, you sacrifice so much time with your families to build the careers you're building. Can, can you both talk about your families and how you think about integrating family and work? Yeah, um, man, I, I'll just start by saying like, I, there isn't a day that goes by that I don't have like overflowing gratitude for the role that my husband and partner has played in supporting me as I've chased my dreams. My kids have both spent more than half of their lives competing for my attention with this business. The business is five years old, uh, shortly will be five years old, and my kids are seven and nine. So the business has been a big part of our family lives and will be something that my children remember, right, for the rest of their lives this time. And, you know, I, I guess potentially unpopular opinion here, 
I don't really believe in work-life balance. I, I think it's impossible uh, in certain seasons of your career, certainly. And when I'm pedal to the metal trying to build a movement and a new category in a way of work, uh, there is no work-life balance. Uh, my hope is every day that I can find harmony in moments and that I can choose moments to be more present. And that over time, obviously, as the business scales, um, and we have some 60 amazing people working here and 20,000 people in our community, that I can take some more steps back, right? So that I can find more of that harmony in the day-to-day. Um, but it's messy, you know? Like, it, this is probably my number one stressor in life is the guilt I feel about Am I doing enough for the team at We Are Rosie? Am I doing enough for my daughters? Am I doing enough for my spouse who, you know, is endlessly supportive? Um, it's hard and it's messy. And I, I try to talk about it really plainly because I, I want people to hear it, you know, like it, it can't be all rosy all the time. And this is something that I've really struggled with. Um, but I'm really thankful that I've had this support system because starting this business for me was not like a nice to have. It was a compulsion. Like I felt compelled and drawn to this mission to do this work. And I'm so fortunate that I've, I've never been made to feel guilty um, by my family, but I carry it with me as I try to find, you know, some semblance of balance uh, throughout, throughout the days and years. Yeah. Uh I agree with you. There's no no such thing as balance. You you can try to integrate as as much as you can, and it it it's a it, it's a living, breathing organism that, that moves around. Sometimes it's work, sometimes it's family, sometimes it's you, um, and and you have to feel okay with um with 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 all of it. It it I learned it the the hard way. Uh, uh it's easier for me to talk about work-life integration now that I'm 63 and and my daughters are out of out of out of school uh except for actually the last two mm-hmm. um after I've had a 40-year career but I, I made every single mistake in the book I I decided to be very traditional about I completely separated my work life from my personal life uh, and I was doing an international career, which felt that I, which which meant that I always felt that I owed time to one of the aspects of of my life because I I had this notion of balance. Okay, so it's fifteen hours here, now I have to deliver fifteen hours over there. I was not integrating my life at at all. I was um, a house divided, and as uh, as the line said, a house divided cannot stand. And and I I had to pay a price for that. I I got sick, and then uh, thanks to the endless support of uh, of my family, I I was able to then rebuild a more integrated um, a more integrated sort of of life. If uh, if you're not fully aware of it, if you're not talking about it, if you don't have a support system around it, it will affect you. We're human beings. Uh, uh, it it will affect you one way one way or the other. So in, in, in my particular case, it's a little bit of what you're doing, Stephanie. The work became a family project. The reason yeah. why, why does that work? And I would share why, um, to the point that, um, it became, I, I think the, the, sometimes the dinner table evaluation of my work became more, uh, <laughs> tougher than the research that I was doing globally for, for, for my particular work. But it took me a long time to get to, um, it took me a long time to get to uh, to 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 that. Um, what 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 family 
has also also done for me, particularly my wife Ashley, is uh, when I forget to check in on me, she is making sure that I do. Yeah, and it, it, it's it's really important. Mental illness is 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 a thing, and and it's something that we don't talk about enough as an industry, as 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 a workforce. And I know for a fact that the pandemic didn't make things easy, and that we're going to be paying for it for a very long period of time. It took me a very long time to actually come to terms with the fact that for a, a, a significant period of my life, I was suffering from depression and I had to deal with it. Yeah. And I had to become clean about it and I had to talk about it and share with my, my family and with my team what I was going to do about it. Mm. We just need to acknowledge that we're human beings. Um, we just have to acknowledge that there are m many more things than work that constitute our life and that we should be in safe environments where we can share this stuff so that we can all be a bit more empathetic with one another. And that has nothing to do with performance, by the way. You can do that and be a high-performing uh, uh, individual and high-performing and, and high business and be successful as well. Yeah. You both probably don't realize it, but you're giving so much really important advice and, and sharing so much wisdom. And I love the honesty and vulnerability that you're bringing to this conversation, because I think, you know, there's, there's totally a world where we have the two of you here and start throwing questions at you and you know what the right answers might be and you can share them. But I think nothing is more valuable than sharing your own experiences and the lessons that you've learned. And I think, you know, Haley, Haley and I, like, we're loving this podcast series that we get to do because we get to sit back and listen to people who are inspiring, inspiring us um, and then push it out there for the world to, to see and hear. But I got to say for this episode in particular, you know, Stephanie, you're reminding me that there's a totally different way to do all this. And I think it's something that we all have to be reminded of because we sort of get into our, our way, our routine. And I certainly have my way of doing marketing. But when I look at what you are doing, that we are Rosie and what you're empowering and the next generation of great marketers, it just makes me rethink everything I assumed. And it, it questioned my bias and my presumptions, not just about like what marketing is and, and how to do it, but who can do it and how they can do it together is different. And then Antonio with you, I mean, I don't get to talk to you a lot, but my whole career I've looked up to you. And and when it, when we were putting this podcast together, you know, you're the one for me who I look at what, not just what you've done with your career, but but the, how you've done it and how you make people feel. And that's what people will, will always say about you. And um, it's what I, I really hope, and I know Haley agrees that people will say about us um that you know we didn't just do a lot of great work but we meant a lot to a lot of people that's what i think we all hope for so it, it's just a real honor to, to to have you on this with us so thank you so much both of you thank you guys thank you stephanie a pleasure meeting you you're a terrific lady please keep it going likewise please keep it going we need it bad Oh, uh, we will keep going i can promise you that <laughs> thank you so much i it's it's an honor to be here today with this crew Well, that does it for this episode of the Future Legends of Advertising podcast. I'm Ross Martin. And I'm Haley Romer. And thank you for listening. We'll be back with another episode before you know it. And for more information on the American Advertising Federation, go to aaf.org.